This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, a Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. Labour out on the front foot today with a new review from Gordon Brown, two years in the making. The various recommendations that Keir Starmer has outlined today alongside the former Prime Minister include a newly elected House of Lords with 200 members, part of Keir Starmer's pledges to abolish the House of Lords in its current form, shifting 50,000 civil servants out of London, juries of citizens to decide if MPs have breached rules, taking foreign money from UK politics and banning second jobs for most MPs. James, it's important to stress that none of this is currently, or at least in terms of what is in this report, is yet Labour policy. There will now be a review, these are recommendations, but of course the fact that Keir Starmer has fronted this suggests that this should be taken seriously, and of course Labour did ask Gordon Brown to embark on this. So how drastic is what's being proposed? So I think it's the optics of it that Labour will like at the moment. Now lots of people will say, as, as the Tories have been trying to say today, which is, oh, look at all the problems facing the country, why are you talking about constitutional reform? I mean, there are three reasons why Labour is so keen to do this. The first of all is it's free. Money is so tight at the moment and Labour don't want to allow the Tories to attack them for, for wanting to tax more or borrow more, which means they can't come up with big expensive spending commitments. On the Constitution, that kind of radicalism is free. There's no, there's no cost attached to it. And so it allows Keir Starmer to portray himself as someone who's going to do things differently, clean house, all of that. The second thing is it punches a Tory bruise. Um, Gordon Brown said this in a, in a briefing for Scottish Journalists earlier today, that you know, Labour know that the House of Lords is going to come back when Boris Johnson's resignation honours list is ultimately published. The, the, all the reports are that, that, that it's a big list and there are lots of people on it who will be quite difficult for Tories to defend the fact that these people are, are being ennobled. And so I think you see Labour want to have an answer about it. They want to make the Tories defend the status quo. And then I think the third thing which is appealing for Labour is if the Tories revive in the polls, any kind of arrangement, whether it's an electoral arrangement or an arrangement after election with the Liberal Democrats, will require kind of political reform to be part of it. So I think it suits Labour to kind of be on the front foot on that. I think in reality, and you've already seen this, as as, as you were saying just before conference, Katie, with uh, both Keir Starmer's Sunday Times interview and his Today programme interview, in reality, I would be surprised about how much of the House of Lords stuff starts in Labour's in inverted commas, first term, because if you are if you are really serious about abolishing the House of Lords in its present form, rather than just giving the House of Lords Appointments Commission more power to veto nominees and all that kind of thing, then you really are going to have to be prepared for the entirety of the rest of your legislative agenda to be held up. That is why all pledges at House of Lords reform, from Tony Blair in 97 to the Coalition in 2010, never actually end up happening or end up diluted or ditched, because you, unless you are prepared to put everything else you're doing on hold to try and tackle this issue, then you're not going to get anywhere because the House of Lords is just going to block you. So my sense is that this suits Labour to talk about the issue. But if Keir Starmer wins the next election, I would not think that in 2028, the House of Lords in its present form will have been abolished. Fraser, if Keir Starmer wants to talk a, you know, a tough game when it comes to abolishing the House of Lords, but yet refuses to say in interviews this morning that it will even be in the Labour manifesto, let alone say it will be in the first term, already talking about how that would be an ambition or his hope. Is that a problem or can he dine out thanks to the Tories, um, ultimately the various uh, people, people like Boris Johnson put forward for peerages, can he just get the political win without having to do much? 
I think that's what he's aiming for right now. He is very into, very much into Sunak demonology. So he wants to paint the caricature of this rich, terrible, out of touch Tory toff. He might have an exotic background, but let's face it, he went to this posh Winchester school and he, he got his kids at private school. And by the way, shouldn't we put VAT on these schools? And by the way, isn't it time to sweep away the Tory establishment, especially with the people this trust is about to controversially appoint into the House of Lords. So as part of the overall Starmer class war narrative, this will be useful. But uh, I have to say that any time that you see Gordon Brown propose as part of a solution, you know that somebody's asking a pretty daft question. Now, Gordon Brown himself, he's out of control already. He gave an interview to Scotland on Sunday yesterday where he was talking about we will do this and we will do that. In other words, in his head he thinks he's going to come back in power. And of course, the reason why you cannot replace the House of Lords with a of an elected second chamber, is that a second chamber would vie for um, legitimacy with the House of Commons. The House of Commons ultimately don't want that. They want power for themselves. When Brown himself was in power, he and Tony Blair spent and wasted a lot of time trying to come up with um, House of Lords reform. I think they had five or six different solutions, each of which was put to a vote, each of which failed, because there simply isn't a consensus. And that is the funny thing about the House of Lords. It's not supposed to work. It's supposed to be something which is is, is a revising chamber. It's not supposed to be telling the Commons what to do. It can quite. I think it quite is quite often effective. You wouldn't invent it in its funny kind of way. Um, with the little you know, the hereditary peers were there with their ear trumpets and what have you. And Blair got rid of the hereditaries. But now you've got not a, all of the hereditaries. Not all of the hereditaries, but a, a, a good chunk of them. But you're still getting there. Were still things which are just just as democratically indefensible. Like, the list trust resignation honours, when it comes along, will be democratically indefensible. But the House of Lords is not supposed to be democratically defensible. It's there to have people that are outside of the reach of day-to-day politics. So they can ask questions that would be very difficult to ask if you live your life in threat of the next election or the opinion polls. Right now, the House of Lords is doing an investigation into labour market shortages. But the House of Lords could have played a very effective role in scrutinising lockdown, but it didn't. The House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee will ask difficult questions about net zero and about climate change logic. Whenever there is a consensus in the Commons, that is the House of Lords becomes Britain's only hope of opposition. And you do this precisely because you're out of touch in a way. You're not walking lockstep with popular mood. So I suspect that this will create a lot of debate, but will not lead to much, because fundamentally, the House of Lords' lack of legitimacy is something which suits the House of Commons collectively. James, when it comes to the broader message of Gordon Brown's report, so the biggest you know, devolvement of power, they want to say, would happen under a Labour government... This this message of, you know, making sure that the UK works for local people, more powers to local people, taking power away from Westminster. Is it that different in terms of the message from levelling up in the 2019 manifesto? There are some similarities, surely. Yeah, and, and if you could have closed your eyes today and, and heard it in an Abedonian accent, you could hear Michael Gove at times. It, 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 you know, because it is a statement of the obvious, it is clearly true you need to boost productivity and growth in the regions outside London and the South East if the UK is to be a, a prosperous country. I mean, and I, and I think there is a kind of general view that devolving more power down is one of the ways you do that. I mean, that is a kind of political consensus. I think Labour's argument on levelling up is going to be, we really mean it, 
And I think they had hoped to say, and we'll back it with serious money. That is obviously much more difficult now because of the, the economic circumstances the country finds itself in. And finally, when it comes to Labour's push today, in the interviews Kirstama has given, one, uh, he said, I do not see Jeremy Corbyn standing for Labour. Now, in a way, this is a statement of what we could probably have pieced together, Fraser, in the sense that we, we know that Corbyn is suspended from Labour. But is this another sign of Kirstama ultimately using a fight of his own side to, to show who he is? Something that, in I suppose, in contrast, they want to say Rishi Sunak is weak over his yeah, well, one of the strongest things you can say for Keir Starmer now is the success he's had reforming his party. And I can say as somebody who would not look forward to a Labour government that I think Starmer has been way more successful than I thought he would be. It's funny to think that in just two or three years, he's taken Labour from the smouldering wreck that it was post-Corbyn into something which has dealt with its far-left faction and not so much that is what we haven't seen. We haven't, for example, seen all of the various candidate selections that have been going up and down the country. We tend not to get reported. But when you look into it, you find out that the Starmer machine is winning, has taken back control. It used to be the case that momentum would be more organised than the Labour Party apparatchiks, and that um, and the momentum would have hit people in winnable seats. When you look at the seats, the miswinnable Labour seats now, they are pretty much the sort of people that Keir Starmer wants. That was one of the reasons that we actually named him Politician of the Year in the Spectator Parliamentarian Awards this year, because of these quiet victories he's been having, taking his party from being so bad that Labour MPs like Ian Austin were saying, vote Tory because this party is so bad to a situation where it is odds-on not just to win, but to win by a landslide. And so I do think that any battle which pits Keir Starmer against the Corbynist faction will reinforce the general message that he wants to send to wavering voters, that Labour has changed, and that this is, as the Tory MP Charles Walker was rather controversially saying on Channel 4 recently, a the, the, a party which you don't need to be afraid of. I think, what did Charles Walker say, James Trevor? I, I think he said basically that he could kind of live with Keir Starmer as Prime Minister, while as he couldn't have lived with Jeremy Corbyn. In fact, let's play the clip because I think this is quite a significant aspect of the debate. Well, look, I mean, uh, Labour um, being led by Jeremy Corbyn would be a totally different prospect and it would definitely keep me awake at night. Um, Keir Starmer doesn't keep me awake at night, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I know Keir Starmer. I think he's perfectly decent, good man. Um, he's patriotic. I still prefer to have a Conservative Prime Minister. Yep. But if we're going to have a Labour Prime Minister, Keir Starmer strikes me as, as, as not a bad option. Now, why I think that matters is that even... If, first of all, you're going to get a lot of outgoing Tory MPs. We all know what Charles Walker thought during the trust tobacco. Do you remember, James, he had that breakdown? Yeah. Well, the Labour Party started using just Charles Walker interviews as their attack ad on the Tories. They didn't need to get anyone in Labour to say anything. There was a Channel 4 interview where he was basically just saying he was appalled and they just played that out with a Labour Logo. Right, and now he's saying that he isn't particularly worried about the Keir Starmer. Now, this is the message above all others that Keir Starmer wants to send out. Do you think the Conservatives, after what they've done, if after their behaviour, deserve another four years? No? And if you don't, then why don't you vote for us? We're not asking you to love us, we're just asking you to think that we couldn't be much worse, that you're not scared of us anymore. So if they manage to send a message out that the hard-left faction is no more, and that even outgoing Tory MPs like Charles Walker hold no fear of a Labour government, then it is time for your average voter to give Labour a second look. So I think, as you say, Katie, this is absolutely core to the Starmer re-election message. 
Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.